All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. My name is David Jelly. That is Jeff Patterson joining us indeed. today. Yes. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, I'm from not harm. Harm's no. on the road. He's uh, traveling. The Canucks are traveling. And so, yeah, this is fun. Uh, I've done rink wide, obviously, and you sat in with me. So, returning the favor here. Big finish to the week. It's Friday. Of course, the Canucks are playing Saturday and Sunday, so they're really it's not the end of the week. We're both going to be working. So <laughs> yeah. In this world, there's game days and non-game days, and there are a couple of game days ahead here as the Canucks head out on the road. And folks, if you did not get your JPAT and quads fixed today, uh-huh. rink wide all weekend long, baby. Me <laughs> and Jeff. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Back-to-back days. Our technical producer is Grady Sasson. As I said, this is Canucks Conversation from the Iconic. Sheraton Wall Center here in downtown Vancouver. Presented by HSBC World Rugby Sevens, Western Canada's largest sporting event, and this year is the ninth time the event has visited Vancouver as part of the World Rugby Sevens series. HSBC Vancouver Sevens, where high-caliber rugby and the ultimate party weekend collide. SVNS truly is a sporting event like no other in a weekend you won't want to miss. For three full days from February 23rd to 25th, BC Place is going to be the place to be. 12 women's, 12 men's, 7 teams, including two Canadian squads, take to the pitch for three full days of jam-packed rugby and partying. Tickets on sale now at vansevens.com, starting from just $40 per day. J-Pat, have you ever been to a rugby game? I've been to rugby games. I've never been to the 7s, but I have been around BC Place a lot of times. Canucks are playing home games then. And even on sort of the plaza outside, Terry Fox Plaza, 
uh, in and around BC Place. Uh, it does look like the party of the year. The costumes are incredible. Yep. The idea yep. of uh, getting all the uh, decked out to go check out a sporting event. So uh, I don't know when uh, late February, uh, you and Harm should probably dress up uh, to host Canucks Convo. Am I hearing that you're going to join us at Rugby Sevens dressed up? Uh, maybe I'll have to check the next Canucks schedule. Maybe sure a that... trio costume. Maybe the uh, three of us there you go. Uh, get all dressed up. Okay. Last night, yes, 36 save shutout for Thatcher Demko as the Vancouver Canucks take down the Florida Panthers by a final score of four to nothing on Roberto Luongo Ring of Honor night. Your thoughts on the game and Demko's performance? Yeah, I mean, I love it when the storylines present themselves. Uh, you're honoring the greatest goaltender in Canucks history, and the current number one steps up and plays like Roberto Luongo did on so many nights at Rogers Arena or General Motors Place back in the day. Uh, and the first period save off Sasha Barkov there at the left post where he is down, sort of falling forward. You know, that used to be the knock on Luongo is why does he always flop on his belly? <laughs> uh, but hey, uh, the guy was uh, able to make a whole lot more stops than he uh, didn't. So I don't know if that was Thatcher Demko intentionally channeling his inner Roberto Luongo, but you know, that was one of his better saves. And really, and I mentioned that because it came late in the first period when it's still a 2 nothing hockey game. And you know, the Panthers score there. They get a little life. They're on the board. Who knows? I didn't love the way the Canucks played the third period where they basically hung Thatcher out to dry. Mm -hmm. I would like to Canucks to have had the puck a little bit more, spend more time up ice uh, saying that it's a four, nothing lead. It was garbage time. There were so few whistles. It kind of looked like both teams just wanted to run down the clock. So, you know, the final shots are 15 to one in that third period. You think, Oh my goodness. Like Thatcher Demko is going to need oxygen for days. Uh, but it really wasn't tested that much. And so, you know, this was sort of a common theme that they gave up six to Jersey at the start of the homestand. Dave, they gave up four goals the rest of the way, including two shutouts, Casey DeSmith against Minnesota, and last night, uh, Thatcher Demko against a Florida Panther team that went to the Stanley Cup final, has weapons, but just like the Tampa game before that where they held Kucherov off the score sheet, Kaprizov when Minnie was here, Canucks are doing a nice job against the best players, the star power on other teams and holding them in check. And so... Yeah, they gave up 36 shots, but I didn't feel like Thatcher Demko was under siege at any point in that hockey game. No, the shot total makes you think it might have been Jacob Markstrom ring of honor night, but it was it wasn't the hardest night for Thatcher Demko. And I think he would tell you the same thing. I, I want to focus on what you just said there about the Florida Panthers and the kind of, you know, really holding these top teams kind of off the score sheet, taking four or five on this homestand as they head out on the road. The thing that I found interesting, Jeff, it was a conversation we've been having all week, Harmon and I. Um and that was how the Canucks were going to deal with these top lines that were coming right. through town. Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov, the Tampa Bay top line. JT Miller's line did an exceptional job uh, shutting those, shutting that line down at five on five. In his own words last night, JT Miller said they were terrible, they were outplayed, and he's absolutely correct. Even though Rick Tockett didn't have as much criticism as Miller did for himself post game, which I suppose is exactly what you want as a National Hockey League head coach. Um, I found it interesting that the Canucks still were able to keep that line off the score sheet where Teddy Bluger's line was getting that matchup the later into the game we got. I just found that surprising that not only were the Canucks able to win, but they were able to win on a night where their top six really didn't have their A game. Right. And I think the third period speaks to score effects. And so you can look at the underlying numbers and they look terrible, but the Canucks were never in danger in that hockey game. And if there was a night for, the underlying numbers to get away from you it's when you have that cushion of uh, a four nothing lead so uh, you know if i'm jt like i get where he's coming from again the numbers weren't flattering but i wouldn't beat myself up 
Uh, there will be other challenges where they're going to need him to step up and to, you know, hold his own and play even or come out ahead. And he's done that a lot. Obviously, you don't get to be the second leading scorer in the National Hockey League if you don't hold your own in a lot of those matchups. Uh, I think for me, the big takeaway, and I know it was the goalie night and you're the goalie guy. <laughs> and so I'm sure the conversation will get back to Demko and Luongo again. But for me, the, the biggest takeaway was Pia Suter returns the way that he was utilized the bottom six that led the charge in that first period with Kuzmenko now in a fourth line role and Dakota Joshua with his first of two, but really it was the balance of ice time. No forward played more than 17 minutes on the night. Again, they had that luxury in the third period of sort of rolling four lines, knowing that they've got four and six coming up here on the road. Nils Hoaglander was the low ice time forward at 12 minutes. So the discrepancy between the high guy Pedersen at 17 minutes and Hoaglander at 12 minutes, they rolled four lines and the bottom lines, earned ice time they earned their opportunities they were going uh the rest of the guys did their thing but you know at the end of the first period if you just use the four setters as a proxy for ice time for lines and the entire first period was played at even strength there were no penalties jt miller by a few seconds was the low ice time guy mm -hmm. of the four canuck setters which you know if you told me that going into the game i would have said no way but to your point about the matchups you know, it started the the opening faceoff was Elias Pettersson and his line out there against the Barkov line, and so Rick Tockett, uh, you know, I think that speaks to the coaching that you know the read of what's going on through the game. If the Miller line's not getting it done, he has options, and he wasn't afraid to go to some of those lines and and put them in that situation. So uh, they're completely healthy. Uh, is there some wood I can knock on for the Canucks? Because <laughs> it's not going to last the entire season. But when you have your full complement of forwards, you better. Uh, make the most of that, and, and they did last night. Uh, full value, the way that they finished the homestand, four straight wins, they won five of six, so that win-one-lose-one thing of a couple of weeks ago, they have pulled out of that in a big way and have this thing moving in the right direction. 20 wins, Dave, 30 games into this season. I can't decide what's more impressive, that they won that game by a score of four to nothing while cycling through all four lines, or that they did it with Tyler Myers and Nikita Zor Zadorov as their shutdown pair. Those are the two high-minute men on the defense, Quinn Hughes with the third most ice time, Philip Ronick right behind him, as was Ian Cole. What do you think of the defense core as a whole last night? Not only how they were deployed, but how each guy performed. You don't have to go into each individual, but just that well, pairing. That I go back saw. to the Jersey game where they were a disaster. First period was terrible, and then you know they did so well to claw their way back to a five-all tie, and then a complete carnival on the, the winner in the final minute. And it feels like the coaching staff, you know, they didn't rip into their guys. They gave the team the day off the next day, a little bit of, uh, you know, a pat on the back instead of a kick in the butt. But I felt like that's been a teachable moment and maybe a turning point for this hockey club that was, you know, we were starting to see more of those cross crease and seam passes. As I said, I mean, they gave up six to the Devils. They've given up four since. And I just think, you know, Nikita Zadorov has stepped in and done what you want from him. He's big, he's physical, uh, he seems to have settled Tyler Myers down, which I think a lot of people thought like, this is going to be hysterical to watch these two, you know, 13 foot feet of defensemen play <laughs> together. And they've kind of settled into a nice little rhythm there. You know, the people that were using Noah Juleson as a whipping boy a couple of weeks ago, he too has just sort of found his level uh, with Ian Cole. And I love the fact that they've been able to scale back the reliance on Hughes and Heronic. And again, there are going to be lots of nights where they need Quinn Hughes to play 26, 27 minutes, and they need him for half of the third period if they're trailing, uh, you know, although they never seem to be trailing anymore. Uh, <laughs> that's the other thing. But but there's going to be nights ahead against better opponents, whatever. So when you get those 
third periods where you've got a comfortable lead and you don't have to grind those guys into the dust, that sets them up beautifully for a four-game and six-night road trip, starting with back-to-backs in Minnesota and in Chicago. So, again, players get the job done, but the players have to be put in a position to succeed. I think the coaching staff has pushed the button, most of the right buttons all season long, but I think since that New Jersey game, they've done a nice job of refocusing, getting back to Rick Tockett's staples and the non-negotiables, and you've seen that by holding a Florida team, Tampa, Carolina, Minnesota was on a four-game win streak after the coaching change when they rolled in here. The Canucks shut them out. So, you know, these are, I mean, Minnesota wants to get back into the conversation of being a mid-level team, but the Panthers went to the Cup. The Lightning have all that championship DNA. Uh, Carolina, you know, they've scuffled a little bit here, but they're still Carolina. It's a well-coached team and a well-put-together operation. You know, these last three have been really good wins for the Vancouver Canucks. I would put them all in that level below Vegas and Colorado and the New York Rangers and Boston. They haven't seen Boston yet. So again, there are stiffer, tougher tests ahead for the Vancouver Canucks, but you can only play the team in front of you on a schedule on a given night. And the way that they finished up this homestand, man, they head out on the road. They should be feeling pretty good about themselves. It's not anyone else yet, but I do want to get to this listener contribution from regular contributor Sniper in the YouTube live chat who said, how about Kuzi? Eh? Andre Kuzmenko opens the scoring last night, and the other night when he opened the scoring on the power play, the thing that I highlighted was that he back-checked right after <laughs> scoring that goal, and that was arguably the most impressive thing he did on the night. Last night, he is involved with his play away from the puck to get himself the puck. And then he moves in and scores. We know he has the finishing capabilities, but for him to go out and create that chance for himself, I think that's something that Rick Tockett really has never seen from Andre Kuzmenko and really is one of his biggest gripes with him is just his play away from the puck. It's looked better the past two games, and it's resulted in back-to-back games with goals for Andre Kuzmenko. And I'm not going to fight you on that, but I just want to focus on the goal itself. Put <laughs> the other stuff away from the puck aside for, like, for a guy that's been so hesitant, double-clutching, reluctant to shoot the mm-hmm. puck, he pounced on it. Garland does the good work. Puck squirts free just inside the line. And I love the fact that Kuzmenko attacked the puck and then attacked the open ice, gets around Mikola, basically standing still, and then that looked like an NHL goal scorer. Picked his spot and rips it home past Bob. Like, there was a ton to like in that sequence. That just looked like a more confident Andre Kuzmenko. And maybe it was as simple as get the one on the power play the other night, just start feeling a little bit better, you know, up the work level as you talked about. But just in that moment, I love the fact that there was no hesitation, that he knew what he wanted to do and made it happen. And so, hey, all of a sudden he scored in back-to-back games. And beyond that, three goals in his last seven games. So, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe he is uh, on the upswing here. It is still sort of game by game with Andre Kuzmenko, but, uh, you know, beats the alternative storylines that we were talking about (laughs) uh, him coming out of the lineup and being in the coach's doghouse. Yeah, Rick Tockett was, again, uh, muted in his praise after the game. Just said, yeah, he had some energy. I mean, that's his way of saying like yeah, that's he did the some good best things. thing i've heard rick talk and say about andre kuzmenko this season just but, on that goal quickly he was moving his feet so many times and we've talked about mm-hmm. this on the show jeff is when he would get the puck he would almost like try to circle around and yep. make that try to make that perfect play instead of just driving to the net you know going downhill and attacking the net and like you said that looked like vintage koozie to get that shot off and i just think you know he keeps on moving his feet and going to the net like he did a lot last year he'll be okay okay uh let's move on here do you have anything else you wanted to get in about the game jeff before we move on 
Well, I just Lou's speech was touching. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of debate about uh, you know how kind of scaled back it was, and nobody from management or ownership on the ice. Uh, didn't give his wife a you know bouquet of flowers but or anything. Free the skate, baby. <laughs> but you know, Corey Schneider did a nice job. Uh, obviously, having the twins out there made perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy. Like, I don't think uh, many of our viewers and, and listeners have had the chance to you know stand in front of eighteen thousand people and give a speech. Certainly, without notes as well. Like he just spoke from his heart. I love the opening about you know how cool it is to have hockey back in Vancouver the way it's going. Right. Like I just thought. You know, talk about playing to your audience. Not that he had to get the fans on yeah, side, but sure. it was just such a great icebreaker for his speech. And everybody was just hanging on every word there. And then, yeah, at the end, uh, Free the Skate was kind of fun as well. I think Wyatt uh, collapsed and fainted in that <laughs> moment. Uh, and that's why he's not on the show today. Is that is he recovering from? Yeah. <laughs> it was a big night. The Stanchies last night, I'm not sure if you read yeah, it. The Stanchies were, yeah. it was a hell of a Stanchies. Uh, great job by but our I, I was worried about why it's well being in that very moment when Roberto Luongo, his <laughs> hero, uh, says free the skate. I just thought why it probably tipped over in his chair and maybe we weren't uh, going to hear from him the rest of the we night. We had a uh, yesterday we talked about on the show about how I kind of strong armed wide a little bit and I had to go to the game. I had to, right. you know, flex my muscles as the boss a little bit, but uh, it was a good thing he wasn't there because in that moment, if he was in the press box, there would have been cheering, there would have been tears, there would have been fainting. Um, but I'm, I'm, I, I got him a bobblehead, so that's my. Oh, that's what I got. got I for saw one in the morning uh, in the media room. I didn't get one for myself. I'm not much of a collector, uh, but I did. I, I wondered. I thought maybe we'd see a few in the press box. So uh, I, I won't ask you how, but uh, you've got your ways. You got uh, a bobblehead. I hate to tell you because people know the operation we've talked about on the show. You leave after the second period to get home, get here for yes. rink wide. Gave it out after the game in the media room. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, okay. So I missed out on that opportunity. Uh, just one quick thing, uh, and it pertains to goaltending as well. Yeah. And obviously not a banner night for Sergei Bobrovsky. Didn't make it through. <laughs> I left after two periods. He left after two periods as well. <laughs> but help me out here. What was the best case scenario for him on the 3 nothing goal? Like, he doesn't look this like he's trying point. to... It doesn't look like he's trying to like go hard off the glass on the other side and out. Like... He rolls that puck. <laughs> like I, I mean, obviously he didn't intend to put it on the stick of Dakota Joshua, yeah. but I still, I've watched the replay. I don't know what he's intending to do. So it looked to me that, and, and we spoke to Dakota Joshua after the game. We didn't talk to Sergei Bobrovsky after the game about it, but it looked to me that Joshua was going to go in hard at the defenseman on the weak side. And Garland was already in as the F1 on the four check. And what I picked up, I thought Garland told told Dakota Joshua to stay back and kind of made the audible there, and Joshua kind of adapted. Joshua didn't bring up Garland at all. He kind of said that, yeah, I, I noticed he he had already kind of turned his hips up ice, which told you that he was going to try to push it through. And I think in Bobrovsky's mind, what he's thinking is, okay, the – F2, who is Joshua in this, is coming at the weak side defenseman. So I'm not going to put it there. I'm going to put it up the middle past all these guys. And then once Joshua makes his uh, makes makes the ad- adaptation or whatever you want to call it, um, once he makes that adjustment is what I should say, Bobrovsky's looking down at the puck as he's pivoting, right? And when he looks up, Joshua's there. He's got to make a decision. In my <laughs> mind, and I, I'd like to talk to Bobrovsky about this, but 
What I think happened is he thought he was going to go to the defenseman. Then he saw Joshua, the F2, coming in at that defenseman. So he turned his hips. But if you watch the video, as he's turning to go up ice, he's looking down at the puck because if you're a goaltender, you don't want to lose that puck. You don't want to lose the handle on it. So he's pivoting toward up ice. And then once he's there, he looks up and there's Joshua. And I think he must have been trying to just at the last second get it up. And he just he couldn't get any uh, couldn't get any air on it, and the result was a tape tape pass to Dakota Joshua. Well, I'm just, curious, it's Grady, your thoughts? Incredible, because yeah. these guys are the best of the best. They're elite level athletes. The things that they can do on the ice, and then you see a gaff like that. And it it's was just... Luongo tribute night. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I don't know. I mean, I've been at this a while. I've seen a lot of games, and it's still like kind of takes your breath away in that moment. Like, holy. Like how? I'm guessing he was trying to sauce it up yes. to one of the forwards coming yeah. back for them. But I was just looking at the video. There was no Florida forwards. Well, there was it. actually like, another Canucks. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, I guess, whoever the center was on that. Um, Bluger. Bluger at the, t- at the on that shift there. Uh, just a mental gaffe as someone who's played some beer league and done the same thing in my life. I know what he's going through. Sometimes the puck, you, you just fumble it when you're trying to play it. Yeah um kurt richardson in the youtube live chat made a good point he said joshua is fakes a flyby which is actually what dakota said post game is kind of he didn't say i faked but he did say i looked like i was going in uh and yeah basically exactly what i just said um kurt richardson said a quick stop by joshua fooled him and it is hard to disagree with that get your anyone else's in folks it is uh going to be coming up later in the show but jeff we're going to have a big picture conversation here about the canucks competitive windowing Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And this segment is brought to you by the Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool game. Wendy's is letting you win real food with your fantasy teams this year with the Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool. For those of you who dream of smoking the competition, Wendy's is rewarding you with weekly prizes that will have you winning. But here's the big secret to lineups. It's all serendipitous, like Wendy's new limited edition chicken strips and French toast sticks. Sometimes the best teammates are the ones you least suspect. Sign up to play Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool to win weekly prizes like the new chicken strips and French toast sticks from Wendy's and the Wendy's app. We're not talking about the game itself because I got eliminated on Tuesday. 
as did Frank Cervelli, who around these parts we call Daddy Face Off. Um, Can we talk about the peppermint frosty? Have you had a peppermint frosty at Wendy's? I haven't. I was excited. I'll okay. admit, I'm a peppermint guy. Call me peppermint patty if you want. Yeah, that's. Uh, uh, I'm gonna stick to chocolate frosties, so I'm going back. The chocolate frosties are just unbeatable. Do you dip fries in them? I don't. I do, uh, but I was excited about to try the peppermint frosty. I'm just gonna say I'm gonna stick with chocolate. Peppermint stuff is so hit or miss for me. Yeah, I think I'll stick with the Starbucks for my peppermint fix and uh, Wendy's. Yeah, there are other things on the menu. Just didn't quite hit chicken strips and French toast sticks. Right. Go check it okay. out. Okay, uh, let's get to this segment, Jeff. This big picture conversation yes. that you and I wanted to have about the Canucks competitive window. A Let's establish when the Canucks competitive window is and B, how are they going to keep that window open for as long as possible? And I think the, the second part there is the important one, because anytime you talk about windows, you look at a team like the Washington Capitals and it took forever for them to figure it out and get it right. And Alex Ovechkin was doing incredible things uh, throughout his career and it's not about one guy or two players. And even Tampa is an example. I mean, Tampa was a great team for a long time before they finally figured it out and got it right and, and got their hands on the cup, not once, but twice. So, you know, as I sit here and I look at Elias Pettersson just turned 25 and Quinn Hughes is 24, you know, it's not that these guys don't have a decade or more in them to be high-level performers and producers. The problem is it's going to get a lot more expensive for both of them on their next deals. So when I look at the composition of this roster, you know, I think they're a little bit ahead of schedule that their star players this year have all leveled up. Uh, some of the competition around them as well has, uh, you know, just hasn't amounted to much. I, I thought they'd be in a dogfight with, you know, teams like Nashville and Calgary and St. Louis, Seattle. And, yeah. yeah. And, and some of those teams obviously have uh, taken a step back and, you know, it's allowed the Canucks to emerge here and hang with the big boys. So, uh, we know that Elias Patterson is the front burner issue for the Vancouver Canucks in this big picture conversation. He's getting his. It's just a question of when and ultimately what is that dollar figure and Philip Ronick's going to be next in line there. So, you know, there are two big contracts to come for the Canucks that complicate this matter and this conversation. But the salary cap's going up. Tyler Myers is coming off the books. They can make the numbers work here for next season and the season after that. That's when it gets crunchy financially. And so... I, you know, as I look at the way this team is situated, I, again, I think they're a little bit ahead of schedule. You know, can their star players stay at the level they're at? Like, you know, a year ago, people were running Brock Besser out of town. Now mm -hmm. we're talking about uh, what's going to take to re-sign him and what's that dollar figure going to look like. But um, I, I think for me, Dave, it really hinges on two more years beyond this one of Thatcher Demko at five mm. million bucks. This is a goaltender that pitched his third shot out of the season last night. He's, He's the front runner for the Vesna yeah. at five million bucks for the Ranger this year and two more. Like you are absolutely reaping value out of that contract the way that he's playing. And the expectation is, you know, he just turned 28. So you're going to get him for his 29 and 30 year old seasons, sort of right in the prime uh, of his career. And then you've got Quinn Hughes on his current contract for a year beyond that. So Demko is going to get a raise. Mm -hmm. But the Hughes one is really, to me, uh, he's on such a value contract. That contract now has turned out to be just a ridiculous deal at 7.85 million bucks. Not going to double on the next contract, but as salaries go up and the cap goes up, like he's, if he continues to play 
at this level as a defenseman controlling the game and doing the things that he does, you know, he's in for a massive raise. And so that's where, you know, the Pedersen deal, Hironic's going to get a contract, Demko's going to need a raise, and then you get to Quinn Hughes, all while I think the next three years you can still expect JT Miller to play at a relatively high mm-hmm. level. You know, if there's going to be a, a dip in his production, it's likely to come later in the contract that's kicked in here. So um, that's the problem. And I think you look at a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs where you have to make decisions. You And even Tampa that was through here the other day, you know, they maintain their high, high-end guys, but the challenge is to fill around them. And they uh, that's a skeleton crew compared to some of the players that they had that were part of those championship teams. You know, Alex Kalorin chases the money. Andre Palat's no longer there. Yanni Gordy is gone. Ross Colton, uh, you know, so you make these decisions on who to allocate your money to. Well, if Patterson's getting a raise and he's going to get paid what he's worth and Quinn Hughes ultimately is going to get a raise on his next contract, you know, then it gets dicey because at some point you have to start peeling away players that you think are part of your core group. So I really do think with this group, I would say the next two to three years are pretty damn important for the Vancouver Canucks. I wonder how long the window actually stays open. That, that That's the big thing that I, because I, I think we can all agree, especially with the way this season's gone. It's already December. They are competing now. And Jim Rutherford uh, did a Q&A with our pal Patrick Johnson over at the province. And he spoke about how, yeah, we're trying to compete now. And what he highlighted was keeping that competitive window open in the future, I have the cute, the question and the answer here. I wrote about it at Canucks Army, and I want to kind of touch on it again today. He said, you've talked so many times about clearing up the cap, and we can look at where things are next year. Very much is entirely your staff's framework. Do you anticipate the cap still being something you're going to have to think extra about, if you will? That was a question from PJ to Jim Rutherford, uh, and he said, Rutherford, that is. The one area that we're going to have to be aware of is three year, three and four, the years three and four of the OEL buyout year one and two aren't bad year one is this year year two is next year the last four years aren't bad but we have to be a little bit cautious of years three and four but it seems like if you're going to be competitive and want to contend you're always going to be up against the cap you're always going to be walking that tightrope tightrope excuse me and pj next question was with the players you have in the age they're at hughes Pedersen, miller you really should be trying to contend shouldn't you and he said correct but i do feel and it should fall in line with that year three and four of OEL's buyout, that if these younger players that we have in the pipeline now, if they get to what we're projecting them to be, that all will fall into place. And we got some good players coming. And then Jeremy Colleton's doing a good job with those young players in Abbotsford. They're developing those players, getting them ready. So I feel confident, but it doesn't always go the way you thought it was going to go. If there's one thing that we learned in the last management regime, it's don't count your chickens don't count your eggs. Don't don't count your chickens. What's the saying? Yeah, don't count your chickens. Don't count your chickens <laughs> before they hatch. Uh, you go back and find the old Canucks Reddit posts about, think of what a wagon this team's going to be in 2022. Tyler Madden is going to be on the second <laughs> line. Adam Gaudet is also going to be on the second line as a winger. You're going to have so much depth. Tony Utenin is going to be playing top pairing minutes. All these crazy takes that we heard and, you know, Faber threw some of those out and I was like, yeah, go Faber. <laughs> so um, yeah, you, you don't want to overhype your prospects too much. But when you look at a team like the Dallas stars, who we've had in the context of this conversation, we've had the conversation about them is that they had Thomas Harley and Wyatt Johnson come in on ELCs 
And those two were basically enough to be difference makers for them, even with some bad money on the books. With the Canucks getting rid of a lot of their bad money, you have to think that with that OEL buyout, which of course is bad money, that if you're able to get even just two, maybe even one impact player playing either top four minutes or top six minutes as a forward, that you're going to be able to compete during those years. Right. So when he talks about some of the players that they've got, Niels Hoaglander is obviously here, you know, you'd like to think that you know, he turns 23 here in a week's time, that he's going to continue to develop. He looks like he's arrived now as an everyday NHL player. You hope that Vasily Colson is not going to be too far behind. And so, you know, these were relatively high draft picks from 2019 that you want to believe are going to hit their stride and are going to be able to be part of that next layer after the, the star power. But then also you've got Jonathan LeCaramacki and you got Willander. You know, this is the importance of, as you said, plugging guys in on ELCs, but not just plugging them in and they play like these were both first rounders, top half of the draft first rounders. You'd like to think that they could be contributors on ELCs. So those kind of players become massively important to any team that's up against the cap. Um, you know, the OEL, those years three and four, I mean, you're looking at essentially that's a $4 million player that you don't have the luxury of having at your disposal. But if you can get two guys from whom you can extract value on their entry-level deals, then those guys can go a long way to helping uh, you continue to develop and they can, you know, support the, the star power that you've got. I, I guess the one danger for me in any kind of discussion like this is that, you know, you're the Vancouver Canucks, you're doing all you can to build the best possible team with the players that you've got available to you. And then you put that team up against other teams that are doing the same thing. You're trying to build your team in a vacuum and the regular season is sort of like all the lectures and, you know, the, the studying you have to do and the playoffs are the final exam. Well, only one team can win the Stanley cup and, you know, they're always going to be in a division with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And there's even more urgency on the Oilers and that question about competitive window and making McDavid happy and keeping Drysaddle around mm -hmm. and you know a guy that on talking about a value contract and what they're getting out of Leon Drysaddle and so you know I, I guess I and call me foolish and people will keep the receipts I'm sure but I, at some point I do think that the Oilers are going to figure it out that they're going to get goaltending that they're going to be able to support McDavid and Drysaddle or that maybe McDavid and or Drysaddle just go off in a playoff run and you know, put that team absolutely on their back. And so that's the danger that no matter how good a team the Canucks and other teams build, you know, you're always going to have to go through other good teams to get to the top of the hockey mountain. And so, uh, you know, I, I think when you have opportunities like they have here over these next couple of years, you know, I, I don't want to see them continue to build for five and eight years out. Like at some point I want it to come together and I want these guys to step into the ring and take their best swing. And, and see where it leads them. But this it's is pro sports, and there's yep. ultimately no guarantee that it's going to work out. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I just want to say about the Oilers, thankfully, they're going to get that goaltender with all the bullets in the chamber and all the great goaltenders they've drafted over the years. <laughs> Passing on Jesper Wallstead should should have should have been the end of the Ken Holland era uh, in Edmonton. But I digress. Okay, uh, the, the thing I want to focus on, Jeff, is I was thinking about this on the, on the way in today into the office, and I'm thinking to myself that, okay, if you're the Canucks, you just laid out Thatcher Demko. You just laid out Quinn Hughes. There, there's a lot of things to consider here. If the goal is to win a Stanley Cup, which it is, 
Let's not kid ourselves here, right? Yeah. The, goal, the goal needs to be to win a Stanley Cup. Is your best chance at doing that to look at it as a four, maybe five-year window that you have where you're still going to have young players coming through? Because presumably, you keep your first-round pick for this draft. That, that that's, that's the thing that I keep coming back to is Rutherford's comments that we just spoke about earlier make me think that with this team having their eye on the future while still trying to compete right now, I don't see them trading that first round pick at the deadline for any sort of help. I could be wrong, but I I do see them using that first round pick at this year's draft. And what I'm thinking to myself is next year is a year where you don't have the OEL buyout. You've got all this cap space with Tyler Myers. You're going to be able to sign Philip Roark. You're going to be able to sign Louis Patterson. Hell, you might even be able to sign some good players around them as well. In my mind, I'm thinking that next year is the year where you start to go all in if you will. Because that's the year where presumably this team goes on a playoff run this year. I don't want to use the word run loosely. They make the playoffs. They play at least one round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. That experience obviously matters quite a bit to this core. They play around at least one in the NHL playoffs. The next year, you'd want to take a step in the right direction. If your team comes out again and has the start of the year that they did this year, and you know, it's, it's fact at that point that this is the real Canucks. They are a top 10, maybe top five team in the league. If they keep that pace next year is the year for you to go all in. If the goal is to win a cup, that's the year where you move here. You move those picks and you start to get those players that are going to be difference makers for your team, you know, moving forward. I have been firmly in the camp of they've traded too many first rounders here of late. And this is now sort of the time when some of those, like the JT Miller, that trade worked out. Okay. But at the time I certainly didn't like the idea of a first rounder, Mm -hmm. Uh, the OEL Connor Garland deal, you know, in theory, those first rounders now would be in their early twenties and would be stepping in and helping this hockey club. And, you know, Connor Garland, as hard as he's working, uh, you know, no bottom line, but, Arizona took Dylan Gunther, who looks like he's going to score a bunch of goals in the National Hockey League for a lot of years. You know, could Dylan Gunther be here now as a younger, cheaper piece and producing at a higher level? He's probably not working at the same rate that Connor Garland is. But, you know, at some point that does catch up to you when you're trading all these guys away. That said, like, and we don't have a crystal ball, but Dave, 30 games into the season, they look like they're going to be picking 27th or 28th or 29th in the first round. And I'm starting to think that, like with Jim Rutherford's reputation and we're starting to see Patrick Alvine, some of that's uh, rubbing off on him. He's being aggressive. He's finding ways to make deals. I am wondering if they look at that and think we'd be willing to part with a first rounder that's in the, you know, bottom five of that first mm-hmm. round. The problem there is if you're making that kind of deal, you're looking for a piece that's going to come in and help you right here, right now. Show me how they make that work on the budget. Exactly. And that's what I keep coming back to. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I just, I don't know. Like, I don't think you can, which is why I ultimately think, one, they keep that first rounder. But the reason that I say they move it for for next year, next year is the year that you go all in and you start to build your team to be a Stanley Cup contender next year. Like, they're a playoff contender this year. They've built that much. But let's not kid ourselves. The president of the team said, if everything goes right, we're a playoff team. Okay? That doesn't. That doesn't sell me as a guy who's going to move a first-round pick to help this team take the next step this year. Get that playoff experience. Take the Use your pick and take the next step next year because my, my thought process, Jeff, is that 
sure, you can extend your window of being a playoff team by, I don't know, you could probably push it to six, six to 10 years if you keep those picks, right? If you keep those picks and you keep replenishing the pipeline, you could push that. But are you going to be a team that's capable of winning a cup if you just, like, in my mind, all this is pushing is the the window of being mediocre, but on the right side of mediocre. They've been on the wrong side of mediocre for the past 10 years, and then moving those picks too early before they had the guys coming in, that was what I think this team did wrong, and obviously the pro scouting was abysmal uh, under sure. the last man. And we saw a desperation out of Jim Benning, and I mean, yeah. that's what the OAL trade obviously was yeah. at the tail end, and you know that one hasn't worked out, uh, especially with the buyout that's going to be on the books now till till 2030, but the JT Miller trade did work out. So the idea that trading a first rounder, you know, you can't win that kind of trade. I mean, I, I, I think now with the benefit of hindsight, most people would say, yeah, we'll do the JT Miller deal uh, again. Absolutely. Uh, I just wonder, you know, when Rutherford sat there and we were all there, uh, the park hotel when just the day before training camp, when he said the thing about uh, if everything goes right, you know, even he couldn't have envisioned Brock Besser having the season. Yeah. I don't think anybody in that room that day thought that Quinn Hughes was going to level up the way that he had. Like, this guy had a 76-point season. If he had done that, for, you know, if you would have promised the Canucks that they could lock into Quinn Hughes having a 75-point season for each of the next 10 years, they probably would have said, we'll sign up for that. And then Quinn Hughes comes back and now sitting with nine goals and has taken his game to another level. Like I don't think people internally in that organization expected that he was going to be able to do the things that he's done and command games the way that he has. So, you know, has everything gone right for the Canucks since Jim Rutherford said that? No. I mean, Carson Soucy has been injured a couple of times. Ilya Mikheyev wasn't ready for the start of the season. You know, there have been a couple of missteps along the way, but really in the big picture, just about everything, the health, uh, you know, their stars, again, I'll knock on wood for them, the injuries they have mm-hmm. had, you know, have not touched the star level. Like when you see a Kyle Connor in Winnipeg going out for six to eight weeks, uh, you know, that's adversity that a team like Winnipeg is going to have to overcome. Uh, But the Vancouver Canucks, for the most part right now, their best players have not only been available to them, but they have absolutely lit it up. The power play uh, has been terrific. and has been a game breaker. So they've had a ton of things break their way. And I do wonder if that changes, uh, the perspective behind closed doors in some of those corner offices at Rogers arena, you know, what Jim Rutherford said to Patrick Johnson and he made the rounds. There was the media blitz from the president this week. And, you know, he offered some tidbits and things for us to parse. And, but, you know, I think what he says for public consumption, as opposed to Mm -hmm. what happens in the internal discussions they have there. I do wonder if their timeline has crept up just a little bit, recognizing that when this team is on, that it can, pretty much hold its own with just about anybody. So, um, you know, we'll see. They're 30 games into this. They're still 52 in the regular season then. And of course, uh, then the the real games that, that matter, uh, but they certainly have positioned themselves where they're going to be a playoff team. And then it's a question of, you know, playoffs are so much about matchups. Like sometimes you run into the best power play in the NHL or, you know, you run into a goalie that's just on an absolute heater. Like those are the X factors that you can't control for them, it's just about getting to the playoffs and then uh, sort of assessing the matchup and take their chances from there. But it has been an incredibly wild ride these first 30 games. And yeah, I mean, it's going to be fascinating to see both short term and long term for this hockey club.
I have a new take. Do everything you can to win the Stanley Cup this year. Uh, don't care about the competitive window anymore. Just try to win it this year. And that's because we got a contribution in our YouTube live chat from regular listener Captain Insano. He said, my dad has watched the Canucks lose two Stanley Cups, and this will be his last season thanks to cancer. I hope they give everything they got to win the Cup this year. So that's my new take for the rest of the year, is do everything you can for Captain Insano's dad to see this team win a Stanley Cup. Our thoughts are with you, Captain Insano. It's crazy to think, though, now that Edmonton has sort of re-entered the conversation as a team that looks like the team that most of us expected before the season, just nobody saw them taking this path to, to get sure. there. But like the way that they're going, I mean, Vegas is the top team in the NHL right now. Mm-hmm. Los Angeles Kings have been every bit as impressive as the Canucks have. And the fact that the Canucks don't see the Kings until February 29th, is just crazy. Like they can't measure themselves <laughs> against the LA Kings for two more months. But I mean, you can have four teams in the Pacific division that have legitimate designs on a lengthy, lengthy playoff run. And that's the problem is, you know, only one of those teams ultimately can scale the mountain higher than the others. So um, it's setting up to be a dogfight the way that things are going here in the Pacific Division. Uh, I hope that it's a Oilers, Oilers Canucks matchup in the first round for our friends at Oilers Nation oh, to have to deal with that. Just I think the that'd be social media, like <laughs> just to think, like I mean, the last time the Canucks were in in the bubble, it wasn't. I mean, yes, it was, but it wasn't like where Canucks Twitter is now. Compared to the last time that they qualified for the playoffs in 2015, you know, and that was Calgary. If they got Edmonton in the opening oh, round, it'd be a, yeah. Oh, it would be so good. Oh, it'd be oh. great. Okay. Uh, let's get to anyone else. Sorry, we're running a little late here, folks. So we're going to try to get through anyone else quickly here. Uh, presented by DoorDash. This is anyone else. Our listeners' chance to get involved in his up in YouTube live chat. This also our listeners' chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more with the code NATION25. That's all capital letters, NATION25, for 25% off and zero delivery fees on your first order on the DoorDash app. Offer valid in Canada. Subject change. Terms do apply. We've got so many in here. j we're going to try to rapid fire this. All right. Uh, okay. Travis Wall asked, if you had to make tiers for the NHL top teams, where would you slot in the Canucks? I would say they are in the second tier, knocking on the door of the first tier. Yeah, I, I think that they have shown when they, you know, they didn't measure up against Vegas. They held Colorado. They played them tough for two periods, and then the Avs pulled away that game in Denver. Uh, you know, the Rangers scored three power play goals and a three-on-three goal that was a little sussy um, with the trip on Pedersen. You know, but the Rangers beat them that night uh, way back when. But they've also, you know, beat Florida, beat Dallas, beat Tampa the other night, Carolina. Like they have come up with some good wins that I certainly want to give them the full value for. So yeah, I don't think that they're in the top tier. I'll go with you. Uh, sort of that second tier of really good teams in the national hockey. Kurt Richardson, who is the number one deadline addition on your wish, wish list? Dream big. I'll start. I'm dreaming small. <laughs> I'm thinking Jalen Chatfield. Like if you look at what this team needs, Right. It's obviously that they could use a play driving top six winger. That's the number one thing on my wish list is a play driving top six winger. But keeping with reality to some extent, sure, if you're telling me a dream big, yeah, go get a top six winger. I don't know who that is. Go get the best one. Um, but in reality, like shoring up this team's bottom pairing 
would be so massive. And I, I know Noah Juleson is playing better as of late, but how much better do you feel that you have Noah Juleson and Mark Friedman kind of as your seven, eight guys heading into a playoff run? When, look, if you go deep on a playoff run, you're going to lose guys. You're going to lose guys as it kind of progresses there. So I don't know. Like, I, I wonder if it is a third pairing guy. I maybe don't want to give that take before seeing what the blue line looks like with Carson Soucy fully healthy. And when they have those four lefties on defense, what it really ends up looking like. I'm curious, but uh, yeah, I guess if I dream big, it's, it's a number one, uh, you know, top six play driving winger, but I'm dreaming of Jalen Chatfield right now. Yeah, you know, a couple of days ago when Seattle was in the throes of an eight-game losing streak and Andre Kuzmenko looked like he was coming out of the lineup again and perhaps he was going to be trade bait from the Canucks, uh, this idea of Kuzmenko for Adam Larson. Uh, hmm. Now Seattle has won its last two games, uh, I think outscoring opponents 11-1 to in that time. So uh, I don't think that's ultimately who the Seattle Kraken are, but uh, a little bit of a reprieve in the Emerald City. But, you know, I do wonder if Adam Larson shakes free. He's not a pending UFA. He's got a year beyond this one, I think, at four million bucks but uh kind of like the idea of that and again i like storylines so imagine if they would pick up adam larson and then meet the edmonton oilers in the first round the guy that got away uh from the oilers obviously um so yeah i mean i'm still all in in finding a little bit more a few ways to upgrade that back end and i really haven't gone through the long list of you know, the teams that are going to be full on seller mode, obviously San Jose is going to be looking mm-hmm. to make a bunch of deals. You know, is there somebody on the Sharks? That... Kyle Burrows? Well, no, I'm thinking up front now. Uh, <laughs> they've already had Marcus Granlin. Do they want to look at Mikhail <laughs> Granlin after he uh, torched them for uh, the goal in San Jose? A couple of... Anaheim, I think, is going to be mm-hmm. a, a team that's peddling, you know, players there. I know that uh, the name like Adam Henrique has certainly popped up and, you know, see if Frank Vitrano scored a bunch of early. He's kind of quieted a little bit, but you know, are there, I think you start to have to look now at some of these teams that are bottom feeders, Chicago. Uh, I'll see Chicago on Sunday. Maybe you can do some uh, pre-Christmas shopping there and your wish list and start to look at some of the players that the Blackhawks perhaps are going to be looking to move off of. So uh, yeah, a little premature, I think to be narrowing and zeroing in on particular trade targets, but I think positionally, still beefing up the back end and yes if they could add uh you know sam lafferty's been a nice story and a nice addition Mm -hmm. but i'm not sure that uh, if they want to go where they think they can go that uh, a player like sam in the top six is necessary i think you could probably find uh, or hope to find an upgrade for for something like that absolutely i'll give you guys a name here quickly played for rick talkett plays with an edge it's physical and that's lost in kraus out Mm. of arizona um, $4.3 million cap hit signed for three more years after this. Now, I'm not sure if the Yotes would be willing to part with a guy like that because he's kind of plays that unicorn power forward, you know, physical gritty style game. But he's a type of guy that would come alive in the playoffs. Um, he racks up a lot of goals on their top power play unit. He would probably cost you a pretty penny, but uh, I think, you know, he would kind of scream the player that you're going to go to battle with and the familiarity with Rick Tockett there. Uh, I'm just not sure, you know, making that work for dollars and cents purposes, but uh, big fan of his game. Uh, in case it wasn't clear, I was being a little bit sarcastic with the go after Jalen Chatfield take, folks. Chat's <laughs> uh, just ripping me for no, saying Jalen Chatfield. That name's been out there, though. And Absolutely, it has. Um, he, it's just not number, of, number one on my wish list, yeah. is all. He's the type of profile that they'd be looking at. He's not going to cost you, right? Yeah, like, and the conversation we've had, and Grady, you've been a part of these conversations, is like, well, you wonder what a guy like Jason mm-hmm. Dickinson, who they gave up a second-round pick just to get out of, yeah. 
You wonder what he looks like under Rick Tockett. You wonder what Jalen Sheffield looks like under Rick Tockett with this new structure in the system that they're implementing. It's just some something that uh, came to mind. We don't have a ton of time, so we'll try to race through these ones. Uh, Oz Nuck asked the unsung hero on the team right now. Uh, boy, in the early going, I thought for sure PDG and Ian Cole. Um, you know, at some point, I think you have to recognize the effort and the work rate of Connor Garland, even though the production isn't there. So I'm probably looking at you know either Garland or Dakota Joshua, but really, you know, the way that Noah Juleson has kind of brought his game around a little bit as well mm. uh, of late. Now there's still a long runway here and nobody's voting That's on the year. Heater, awards, Jeff. That's but, a heater. <laughs> well, I mean, there's so much star power that yeah. just doesn't qualify in the discussion of unsung. So the field is narrowed somewhat, but I, I you know, right now, if I'm voting on the 30 game unsung, probably throw a little sugar Connor Garland's way. Okay. This one also from Osnuck. name a player that you despised seeing in a Canucks Jersey. Despised in a Canuck Jersey. Yeah. And you can't say Mark Messier. I'm going to, I'm going to go with, I Matt still Cook. look at it that way. Like, I, I guess, you know, having covered this team for 25 years, I guess years, I was I, a child yeah, at, like, like I, five I, years ago. <laughs> And I, I have nothing but respect for any guy that makes it to the National Hockey League for all the work that they put That's in. I, I, I'm going to take a pass on that. That's fair. I'm going to say Matt Cook. I never liked Matt Cook as a Canuck. What was Matt Cook like to cover? Matt Cook was great. Matt Cook was one of the few guys that would challenge me like the next day. He clearly listened to post-game shows on his way home from the mm. rink. And he would come and he'd say like, hey, I didn't like what you said about Bertuzzi. Or I didn't like that. <laughs> I was like, hey, fair game. Like, I have a platform this is back in the radio days i say what i say like there's nothing to say that i can't be challenged by a guy it just usually wasn't a, a player that i was covering but he was one of the guys on a couple of occasions that uh, took issue with things that i had said or or uh, analysis of uh, the hockey club never anything personal about him it was always about uh, teammates but I, going I, back for his teammates you respect that yeah I like Matt Cook. He was a good guy. Okay. Maybe I rescind my pick of uh I mean I understand Matt why Cook. a lot of fan bases didn't like him the way that he played. Mm -hmm. I didn't love that part of his game, obviously. Yeah, I'm not gonna I... sit here and defend that part, but uh <laughs> just on a personal basis and a professional level of dealing with him, yeah, he was a good guy. Some of the antics too, why people didn't like him happened after his tenure with the Canucks. You remember, you know, stepping on Eric Carlson's Achilles thing and uh was oh, it yeah. Mark Savard yeah. who he took out? Yeah, yeah. yeah. so I think that rep kind of built after he had left, but uh, I, he was going to be my answer too. I quickly want to tell this story. Uh, we had Sammy Salo on the show two years ago, and we asked him what the best prank he ever saw as part of the Canucks dressing room was. And he told a story of him and Yarko Rutu stealing a sweater that everybody on the team made fun of Matt Cook for owning. And Matt Cook had it in his locker, and somehow Yarko Rutu and Sammy Salo got bolt cutters and cut open <laughs> Matt Cook's locker, and they raised his sweater to the rafters somehow before practice. And wow. Matt Cook looked up during practice, and apparently he did not like that uh, that very much. But that was the best prank, and I just thought it was a good opportunity to share that story uh, from Sammy Salo, who we should have back on the show soon. He was a great, uh, great Quote. I'm going to throw out a quick name. And sure. again, this isn't anything personal. I, my dealings with him were brief. He was here at a trade deadline, but Derek Roy was a guy that they went out and got as they were trying to squeeze sort of the last little bit of life out of uh, that core group mm -hmm. after 2011. And I just, I, and this is just my own opinion. I, it never felt like he bought in after the trade, like he came and he played, but I, I just, I thought, that they expected so much more out of him. And so 
you know, again, this is not personal, but just in terms of a frustrating addition, they thought that they were making a trade deadline acquisition that was going to help the hockey club. And it just always felt to me like he kind of went through the motions. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. Um, okay, let's get to the quickest prospect report in the history of prospect reports. I'm not sure if Faber's listening. Sometimes he just listens, and then if I call his name, he appears in the chat. <laughs> so maybe that'll be today. Uh, time now for the prospect roundup, a presentation of our friends at Four Winds Brewing, family-owned and operated in Delta, home to the Four Winds Light Light Lager, a crisp, clean, and easy-drinking beer, a beer for everyone, a perfect beer for before, after, or during the game, as you see it right there on our desk ask for the four winds light light logger at your local liquor store or have some delivered right to your door through the online shop at four winds quickest prospect report in history our pal patrick johnson second mention of him on the show today uh reporting that sheldon dries i don't know if you saw this just the craziest the lid lift the lid lift, like what do you? I I call it a high stick to the face when a guy's nowhere near the puck. Sheldon Dries has been suspended for one AHL game, late in a three all tie. Made no puck. sense. Yeah, made no sense. Gave them their ninth power play. Unlike the suspect game. too. Like that's not when I think of Sheldon Dries. Yeah. That is, he's got some toughness to him. We've seen that, but just a cuffs. Yeah, but not like late in the game. Yeah, it was a player. weird penalty. It, it was, was a very yeah. weird penalty. The AHL put up the press release out. He got to find a grand whopping total of two hundred dollars. Oh, so that's wow. what fines look like in the AHL. He's gonna pay that in gift cards. Yeah, he's never gonna be able to pay for parking <laughs> Some downtown. Abbott, Abbotsford Earl's <laughs> gift card or something. Yeah. Uh, okay, and, and beyond that, you can follow along as the Abbotsford Canucks are in action tonight and tomorrow night. Big weekend of Canucks hockey. The Vancouver Canucks obviously on the road Saturday and Sunday. We'll have full coverage of those games, but we'll also have full coverage of the Abbotsford games as well. So be sure to keep it locked on Canucks Army all weekend long and also rink-wide Vancouver. Uh, where are we at with this Luongo stick bid? Yeah, Jeff? I'm glad you... The, the auction closed late on Wednesday night. We wanted to have the winner uh, on Thursday. Now, I've been going back and forth with the person. I don't know if he wants his name disclosed, so I'm not going to uh breach that level of trust but the donation has been made to connect place awesome and our auction winner sent me a screen grab of the donation so it's been there they've got their money a thousand bucks awesome it's a guy on the island i'll say that much i had hoped that this might make you know raise a couple hundred dollars yeah so for it to get to a thousand dollars for a roberto luongo stick that Louis signed for my son years ago, but it's just been sitting in storage in our house. And I thought there has to be a better place. Somebody's going to want this. And I hoped in the spirit of the season, the timing with the ring of honor that we could raise a couple hundred dollars, but to get to a thousand is uh, incredible. So uh, we had a lot of bids. And so I thank everybody for the generosity, but one stood out above all others. So uh, we'll work now to get uh, the Luongo stick in the hands of its new owner. I'm glad you didn't say his name because he would be getting a call from Sheldon Dries this weekend. <laughs> Help him pay that $200 fine. Uh, okay, Grady, let's get to Betway and let's get out of here for the weekend, fellas. Our Betway bet of the day brought to you by our pals over at, you guessed it, Betway. It's another heater. It's the favorite to win the Vesna Trophy. That's your Demko at plus 350 odds. A $10 bet right now returns you $45 over on Betway must be 19 plus play. If you choose to play, please play responsibly. Yeah, Thatcher Demko, the favorite uh, on Betway to win the Vezin Trophy. No surprise there. Cam Talbot in second, I think with plus 600 odds. And then from there, it's very close. Everybody else is very close. Thatcher Demko is not only the favorite, he's the favorite by a fairly wide margin. 
uh, which, hey, no surprise with the way he's played and his third shutout of the year coming last night. Okay, thank you for this, Jeff. It was a lot of fun. I will chat with you yeah, on Rinkway. So much fun. We'll do it again here over the weekend. Yeah, Just exactly. Different show. But uh, yeah, uh, early starts, uh, 11 a.m. Pacific on Saturday noon uh, in Chicago. Connor Bedard on Sunday. And uh, look, Minnesota Wild, can I shut them out here a couple of weeks ago or just over a week ago? Uh, they've played well since their coaching change. Like they've responded to the coaching change. They beat Calgary last night in a shootout, but that's still an opportunity. The way the Canucks are going four game road trip, get the first one in the bank. Yep. You just put yourself, uh, you know, ahead of the game to continue to rack up points here. And quickly Minnesota, Jonas Brodeen, the veteran defenseman, he's out for a while. Other captain Jared Spurgeon, he's day to day. He didn't play last night. So two other top defensemen out of the lineup, rookie Brock Faber. Mm-hmm. Played 30 minutes and six seconds, including 311 of overtime. And Jacob Middleton, a guy who's averaging about 18 minutes of ice time, played 26 and a half last night. So again, they're plugging holes. They're asking guys to step up and sort of uh, play more than they probably can handle. Again, opportunity there for the Vancouver Canucks to start this road trip with a win in Minnesota. And we'll be back on Monday to break it all down. Well, you and I this weekend will mm-hmm. be there to break it all down over on Rinkwide Vancouver, wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe bell there. Uh, make sure you're all over it in chat. Thank you. Big chat today. It was very nice heading off into the weekend for my co-host, Jeff Patterson and our technical producer, Grady Sass. My name is David Grigelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks conversation. Canucks conversation with Harmon and quads every weekday at two p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. And if you missed it, go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher app. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.